On this week's episode of Circles Off, we'll be joined by Peter Jennings, the co-founder of Fantasy Labs and the Action Network. He's part of Unabated Sports, part of Establish the Run, man of many different companies. We'll talk to him about all of those. We'll talk about NFTs, crypto. We'll play a game of Laudan. Don't know what Laudan is? Hang around, find out. This is Circles Off, episode number 86. Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 86 here on the Hammer Betting Network, presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook. 86. Dalton Schultz. I was about to say. Two first hitters in a row. Yes. Uh, 86 is a like a pretty popular number in hockey. Like Kucherov. Big, Kucherov is one. Jack Hughes wears 86. Um, growing up in the NFL, could never forget about Heinz Ward. Wow. Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward was like such a consistently just good receiver. Like Mr. Reliable. You know what I'm saying? Guy could take a hit. He and hold on to the ball. Oh man. Just great hands. Heinz Ward, one of the most underrated players ever, I would say. Like when you think about great receivers, no one's saying throwing Heinz Ward into the mix. Heinz Ward was up there. I only have one request, guys. Next episode, 87. Can I want to do the intro? Like, you know how when we intro people and we're like this is what this guy does. Like we bring on a guest and yeah. this is what he's a part of. Who are you going to pick? Oh, buddy. Like, who do you think I'm going to pick? This is 86. Next episode. 87. Come on. I don't know, man. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Max Crosby? Max. Gotta give, like, a, this guy deserves a proper intro. Rob Gronkowski? Yeah. Gronk, man. Big kick coming up. Big yes. kick. We have a big guest on this week's show. Very excited to get the thoughts of Peter Jennings on many different things. But once again, for all of you out there in Ontario, if you have not signed up at Pinnacle Sportsbook, you are doing yourself a disservice. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sportsbook. It is now available to all of you in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the best bettors play. As always, you must be 19 plus and please play responsibly. We cannot preach that enough. Obviously, bankroll management, very important. So bet within your limits. And if your limits are big, Pinnacle has the highest limits for NFL. It's a banger. It's a banger. That's the beauty of betting at Pinnacle. You ain't going to get limited. You get down whatever you want. All right. With that, we'll bring in the guest. We now welcome in our guest for this week. He is the founder of Fantasy Labs and the Action Network. He's part of the unabated sports team with our good friends, Captain Jack Andrews and Rufus Peabody. He's part of Establish the Run with Adam Levitan and Evan Silva, who do great work over there. He is the founder of the Solver Sports, some DFS tools that you can check out at thesolver.com. He's also involved with Underdog Fantasy, Better Pool. He's involved with everything. We're going to ask him about that. You can follow him on Twitter at CSURAM88. Peter Jennings now joins us on Circles Off. Peter, how's it going? Doing great. Uh, thanks so much for the introduction and for getting all the, uh, the the promotion out there for those companies. That makes me very happy. So thanks, guys. Stoked to be here. A lot of uh, mutual interest and excited to, to chat about all things betting and DFS and sports. I can say this is episode 86. That was the longest intro of any guest so far. So we, we I, should have saved him two episodes for CSU Ram 88. <laughs> See, oh man, we, we don't think about that stuff well enough. Yeah, we should have saved you for episode 88. Uh, I, I actually thought when I first read your Twitter handle years ago, it was uh, C Saram. That's exactly the same thing I, I thought. Come I on. told Zach this before. So we're not even into it yet. I told producer Zach this before we started 
that I'm like, I'm so ashamed to even admit this, but for five years, I had no idea that this handle was CSU RAM. I just called them C Serum. That's what I used to call them. <laughs> I thought, it was, I thought it was C Serum 88. C but it is what it is. You guys aren't alone. It's a horrible screen name. We'll get into it, but that that started because I was like my first online poker screen name. I was I knew I was going to CSU. I'm not creative. I'm I'm a donkey. And yeah, somehow that's my Twitter handle. So uh it's it's not good. And you guys aren't alone. It's confusing and it's it's terrible. Well, I, I mean, listen to each their own. I'm I'm very ashamed of like my first screen names and emails. Like my first email was, I was a huge Carlos Delgado fan. My email was Delga, Delgado the champ at hotmail.com. <laughs> like, you know, you, you, you do things when you're younger that you're not proud of. So it is what it is. But uh, we do want to get into your background here, Peter. Uh, myself and Johnny know you pretty well. We know your story. But for all those out there who are listening and watching, give us some of your personal background and, and how you were first introduced to the gambling space. Yeah, it's perfect with that that name. I mean, I, I basically was always into fantasy sports and sports betting, you know, on sides and and whatever else. My friends were super small stakes, fantasy leagues, but really got serious about gambling with poker kind of during the same time everyone else was after the moneymaker boom. Uh, played online in high school and then was making a living in college playing online poker. Uh, that got shut down right as I graduated. Crazy story, crazy true story. Uh as it got shut down, I then transitioned to playing live poker for like two, three months. And my last live poker session as like trying to make it like as a professional poker player, we got stood up with uh, shotguns and ski masks and the whole thing. So uh, poker was uh, clearly not the right direction. That was a sign for me. And uh, that's when I went and got a corporate job uh, at Charles Schwab. So yeah, we got to get uh, into that. What happened? What happened? Yeah. Are you up or down? I was actually up and I had literally just won like one of the more most recent hands with pocket aces. And it was like the luckiest hand ever. I had pocket aces. Someone else had like pocket eights and the flop was like ace king eight or something like that. Like I literally felt that the other person and like zero skill, just super lucky. I, I flopped top set versus uh, another set. So uh, I was up and uh, I couldn't really even be that happy about how I was doing because like multiple hands later, that's when we got stood up. So I have a very similar story. So I played an underground game once that got robbed as well at gunpoint. And I mean, maybe fake guns. I have no idea, but I always thought it was an inside job because like this yep. is just the way that you would like, you just collect a bunch of money from people and make it seem like it's an outsider that's coming in and taking all the money you run away with it. I'm curious if you think that you were part of an inside job there. 100%. Uh, it was right after Black Friday and online poker, like literally months after. Everyone's desperate. Everyone has their money locked up on these sites. It was the highest stakes game that like this group of like, say, 30 people. It was only nine of us, obviously, that night, but like we're playing. And, you know, it was a cash game where you bring money. Like it was so obvious that uh, we were a mark and I just don't see how it couldn't have been an inside job. Um and I wasn't even that scared, honestly. It was very surreal. It was obviously, you know, I've never been in that circumstance or any really violent circumstances before, but it just felt like a inside job. They took our money and they took our phones and that was it. Oh, got the cell phone swipe too. <laughs> That's tough. That, that is tough. Yeah. That's tough, man. Especially, well, I mean, I guess back back then it was actually like possible to 
like flip a guy's cell phone if you if you stole it. Now it's like you can't even really sell it. Yeah, it's not use it. Yeah, it's not worth anything now. Terrible to someone who swipes yep. it. So you you obviously are a big sports fan as well, and uh, we know you founded uh, Fantasy Labs, which then was later acquired by uh, you know one of our competitors at BetSamp, the Action Network. So I wanted to get into that story if you don't mind. How did that all come to be? Where, where did that start? And then how was the journey there? Yeah, so just going back just a step, I, I worked at that stockbroker place. That's when FanDuel and DraftKings had started to get big. I actually started making more money, like planning my day around playing DFS in 2011, 2012, when the market's really inefficient. And then I was fortunate enough to kind of win enough money to pursue DFS full time. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of right place, right time. I won FanDuel's first six-figure prize, moved out to Cambridge, got to know the DraftKings guys. And literally signed a brand ambassador deal. And then my my big win, just from a timing perspective and financially, was in 2014 when I won uh, DraftKings' first live final in the Bahamas for a million bucks. And I was already at that time uh, a brand ambassador for DraftKings. So they used like, my likeness for commercials and on uh, subways and all this stuff. And it was just super lucky because I always had an aspiration to like build a business around this. So it was really easy to start Fantasy Labs, just kind of given the the really good timing and luck of winning that event uh, during kind of the peak of the the original DFS boom. Um, so yeah, we started Fantasy Labs in 2015. And uh, yeah, it was just right place, right time with Jonathan Bales and uh, the engineers from Sports Insights. And uh, yeah, we, we had a really good business for the first couple of years and and uh, sold it to, to Churnin, which formed the Action Network because we really wanted to get into sports betting. Uh, I'm very curious about the transition from the day job into full-time DFS. Um, a lot of questions that we get to circles off when we do Q and A's is uh, like pretty much that exact same scenario for someone, which is like, I'm making X amount betting on sports. I have a day job. It's nice. How do I know when I'm ready to make the transition for you? Was it a difficult decision at all? Um, obviously, you know, I know this from, I have very, very similar background to you. So very similar story, but I played poker and I was making very good money playing poker. And then you reach a level where it's like everyone is now better than me and I can no longer, you know, ascend further. I wonder if you had any of those thoughts in the DFS space um, or if you just knew that like this is just I'm very early to enter this and this is like a killer decision for me. Yeah, well, the decision to like pursue playing DFS was really easy and I was fortunate to have supportive parents. And uh, one thing I always tell people is like at that time, you know, I was 24 years old. If I failed, the consequences were not severe. It was like the perfect time to take a really big risk. So I think I was really fortunate just to have supportive family. And like, yeah, if I failed, like there was not really like a huge downside. So it was a really easy risk to take. I think it's harder if you have, you know, family decisions or like you're supporting other people or you really need the money to live or whatever, like there's, there's harder times in life to take risks. And in general, I'm a big proponent of like betting on yourself and taking risks, but it's a lot easier to do if you don't have, you know, other people counting on you. So I think I was very fortunate in that regard. Um, and then in addition, yeah, going into the business side, like I knew I was early to DFS when the market was really inefficient. It was really easy to win. I know I'm not even close to the smartest guy in the room. So it was inevitable that my, you know, time as like a top, top player was going to be limited. And I was always more interested in the business side. So to me, that was a pretty easy trade-off to make. And uh, yeah, I was really excited about starting a business and also just like pretty excited about the operators as well. So uh, I was keen to, to get on the business side as well as still gamble and play DFS. 
How early would you say that that was your plan? Because I imagine, you know, you give up a day job, you play DFS as a pro, you have an edge for, you know, a substantial edge for a period of time. Like, I remember playing DFS around the same time that you did, and people, you know, baseball DFS, MLB, people didn't really know how to stack lineups properly, even at that time. Right. Like, they didn't know that you could put one, two, three, four, five from the same lineup they were just picking random players. Like that's how big the edge was at that time for people. And they were giving away free money. It was overlay too. Right. People didn't know to stack and there was overlay. So yeah, like overlay if you were average, you were making money. Right. So I, I, I imagine at some time you're probably seeing, okay, the competition is getting smarter. Was that when you started to think that, okay, this is not going to last forever. I potentially should start looking at other options. Or was this something that was always a dream of yours? Just curious um, because, you know, for me, stuff seems to get more difficult. And I start to say to myself, well, I don't necessarily want to do this anymore. I got to look for other outs. I got to look for other options that are available to me. Just curious where, you know, where along in the process that came for you. Yeah, I, I really wanted to do the business side. I, I probably started it where like, especially short term, it definitely hurt my profitability. I think I was one of the biggest winners in like 2013, 2014 and 2015, in which the company, I, you know, I started it. Um, we ran into some regulation issues, but really the DFS market was very beatable and had like pretty big edges through like 2016, 17, 18. And some people would argue that the edges were still big and maybe for, I mean, I know there's people out there making millions of dollars still. So like there, it's a peer to peer market. You know, there's definitely some edges out there, uh, especially if you're good. But the sophistication of like the top winning players has gone dramatically up. So I kind of I think regardless, I would have started the business. I would have been forced to do more business oriented things kind of probably in the 2017, 18 range. But yeah, I've always wanted to to run a business and I've always been enamored with just like building. So uh, it was a pretty easy decision for me. And yeah, I think, you know, also winning money early on, you start to understand the tax consequences of being a gambler. I know it's different in Canada, but that was a big proponent. And like, um, yeah, I, I just, I saw that there was more upside, especially on the operator side. Like, you know, I was playing DFS, but my original first job outside of being a stockbroker was for Star Street, which was an operator. I was probably most bullish on, on the operator side in like 2012, 13. Was the Fantasy Labs idea your own? It was Jonathan Bales and I. We, I mean, we wanted to do something, and and it was also you know, Rotor Grinders was the main game in town, and all they were doing was just like content and shows. So there weren't really any tools or data companies in the DFS space. So it's pretty easy to like say, okay, they're focused on affiliate, they're doing content, you know, no one's servicing on the tools side, uh, and then we had these engineers that had all this background building sports insights. They were like, yeah, we love building, you know, tools. We can probably build them for DFS and. Uh, yeah, we just were kind of at the right place at the right time with the right people in 2015. Do you think that the uh, the tools you build actually had like a significant edge for people in the early days? Oh, massive edge. I mean, you, you keep, 2015 people, that's like, so keep in mind, 2015 was the year that DraftKings and FanDuel in September spent more money than Coca-Cola and Geico on advertising. Okay. In 2015, like every commercial was a DraftKings commercial. So unique active users on like, DraftKings and FanDuel like 10x in that year. So you had all these people coming in. People had no idea what they're doing. Most NBA nights, people would play guys who are out. Um, There's just infinite edges out there. And like the baseline of Fantasy Labs products were basically taking, you know, market data from, you know, Vegas odds or wherever sports books were out there at the time and applying those metrics to DFS. And I think that was immensely valuable. Uh, especially early on when people just had no clue what they were doing. So we were doing the player news, player projections, and then incorporating like basic 
odds data into DFS projections. And that was during the softest time in the market. So yeah, it definitely, I think, hurt my personal bottom line in 2015, but was clearly a really good long-term decision. From experience, I would say that I would agree with your assessment. I started using Fantasy Labs around that time just because it made the process more seamless for me. I had my own projections, but to be able to, um, you know, I can be, I was basically running stuff in Excel that would take like 45 minutes to, to do all these simulations and stuff like I'm a horrible coder, horrible at writing macros in Excel and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people around that time um, were using the tools just to kind of... Ec- help scale their process. Like people were winning at small scale and now it's like, oh, all of a sudden I can simulate this and get 150 lineups very quickly and I enter them all really quickly. Um, I think that that definitely was probably costly to your bottom line. But I think at the end of the day with with the sale, in the long run, it probably worked out for you a lot more than it would have if you were just still playing DFS. Right. And it was just a long-term thing. And yeah, optimizers weren't even a thing. Like we were one of the first optimizer sites. So it's just like, those it was just clear utility, and of course the market got efficient a lot faster with the tools out there. And then, yeah, how much value was there at Fantasy Labs, you know, in the later days? And that's where I'd say it was much more correlated with like how much effort and how sophisticated and how smart the users were. Like some people got tons of value out of Fantasy Labs, whereas some people might not have gotten out of Fantasy Labs because they just weren't putting the same amount of effort. Whereas in like the early days, like anyone who was on Fantasy Labs was probably doing well or winning just because they were trying and like anyone trying back in 2015, like if you were, if you couldn't win in 2014, 15, like, and you're trying, like, I, I don't know that that was, uh, I think there was just so much edge out there. So I used to, I was gambling back then in 2014, 2015, doing pretty well. And then, uh, I tried out DFS for the first time, did exactly what you said, just took gambling, um, gambling numbers and prop numbers that I was using already on my own and then just uh, made DFS lineups based on those. Found value, didn't use any optimizer or anything. I started off at like FanDuel. I don't remember like exact, exact numbers, but I think I put in like four, 500 just to get a $500 bonus. There's like a big rollover. I ended up like, what What I didn't understand, like I had an edge because I was just doing exactly that, but I, I didn't really understand like bankroll management at the time as <laughs> well. For that, I was pretty young. So I ended up rolling over one like, four or five weeks in a row, end up rolling over and like end up having like seven, eight grand in my account and then like donked it all back. So I literally just every week kept entering the same one lineup into every single contest for my entire role. So then like yeah. my, my fifth week or sixth week, I had a bad week and then went bust. And then I'm like, nah, screw, screw DFS. <laughs> like I'm making, I'm making money gambling. Like I don't even like this. And then I ended up didn't like, didn't catch the wave because of like stupidity on one uh, bankroll management error that I didn't understand yet. Very funny, but I, I, it was the prop, the props. I mean, I like this guy bird wings who I was close with was like one of the top DFS players from like 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14. His entire process was basically like, look at the Vegas odds, look at player props, came up with his own like Excel model based on player props and like a little bit of team tools, like a very simplistic thing. And like, he just crushed those early years with like a very basic process. And you think about the player props numbers back then, like player prop numbers are way more efficient now than they were in 2015, 2014. So um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a ripe opportunity in those early days. But I used to crush like season long fantasy making this and like trades and stuff. Like I, I deal guys but like, Oh, this guy's yardage total is like 42 and a half. And he's like, people think he's still good. And I, and I'd, I'd pick up like a, guy who's up and coming like 80 yardage total back in the day right and um yeah it makes sense that he would crush you know what i mean just looking at those totals because it was it wasn't necessarily factored into the fantasy community 
a lot of like big name value is there. I'm talking more season long, which I played, I played in like five leagues. It was crazy. It's, a, it, it's interesting how it, how it all comes like full circle now. And then now you know, I'm doing a lot of prop stuff and it's like, you're saying more efficient. And then now it's like, well, where can I get an, a, an angle from like DFS? that can help me beat player props. It's funny. Well, uh, you know, just, just to what Johnny was saying, I mean, even though the market wasn't as efficient at that time, it was still better in my opinion, the, than the other projections that were out there. So like, for example, in 2012, 2013, I thought I was like a really smart guy using AccuScore projections to bet into markets. And then I was like, uh, no, these are not that good. And then I found another projection system and I just kept thinking that I could use these before I came to the realization at some point, maybe I should just build up my own projection system. Uh, but at that time, even if like it, the market was, even though it wasn't efficient, it still was the most efficient that was like publicly available at that time. So it's I'm, still not efficient now. It's just right. the most efficient that we have. Right. So it makes sense. Uh, Peter, so you also um, essentially sold sports insights or sorry sold fantasy labs alongside sports insights which was accompanied by another friend of ours dan fabrizio who's now also a co-founder at unabated for the listeners now um so you ended up selling that um remind me of the year again but i wanted to also like uh go through that process because it's something that I, I know a lot of people would find interesting yeah so we sold the business in 2017 we actually uh you know we're trying to buy sports insights so the genesis of all this happening was we really wanted to get into sports betting in like 2016, 2017, Bales and I, from the Fantasy Labs perspective. And we had the same engineers at Sports Insights, which was Dan's company that we had at Fantasy Labs. We said, hey, we have this great idea. Let's put these together. We'll blow it out of the park. Uh, there's a lot of synergies that we already have, already people working on both projects. And uh, we made Dan, I, I thought, a, a pretty reasonable offer. And of course, he was going to be incented because now, you know, basically he's converting you know, his equity or something else he has a big amount of equity into. Um, so he would just have all this one big piece. And uh, it looked like we were going to get that over the finish line. And then the churning group came in and offered like two, three times what we offered for Sports Insights to Dan. And Dan, of course, was like, oh, you know, I really want to make sure we're all aligned. Like, you know, I don't want to just sell this. Like, I mean, he was very interested in the deal, but he wanted to make sure everyone was taken care of at Fantasy Labs too. And that led to us meeting with the churn group. And basically we came to kind of a deal that was mostly an aqua hire. It's like a half cash, half equity deal with the churning group, which became the action network. So uh, it's interesting how it played out. Obviously the PASPA stuff and everything, you know, I don't think it was the best time for us to sell, but at the same time, churn had a lot of good foresight and we were fortunate to work with some great people uh, at the action network. So they rolled up fantasy lab sports insight and sank one other company. Correct. The action app and the action. Yep. App. Okay. So that's Brian Mead and Brian Mead. He started Sportacular, the, the the Yahoo Sports app, which I loved, and that was a big selling point to me. It was like that was my favorite sports app at the time, and I liked the action app. And I'm like, oh, perfect. We're gonna have you know the app. We have the sports betting side, and we have the DFS side. Like we're in a really good position to capitalize on kind of what we see coming in the next four to five years. Yahoo yep. Sportacular was way. I know this is a no, slight you can't to say, Rob. No, don't say this. To, Brian Mead was like my direct competitor for like, I was a product manager for the score for four yeah. or five years. And uh, I, I, when I left the score, I actually met Brian. I talked to him. And when, when action was like in beta, I was 
you know, I want, I don't want to say consulting with him, but he, he gave me a look at what you guys were building. It was pretty cool at the time. So, uh, it, but it was headed in a, it was sorry, better though. It was better. Sportacular. Yeah, man. I had a buddy, my buddy, I didn't use the score and I think the score yeah. app is so good by the way. Cause I was, we were fortunate to have, be able to bet on the score in Colorado here in 2020 and 2021. And to me, you can say there's, there's a lot of things the score has done well. There's a lot of things maybe they could have done better. But the user experience on the score app from a betting perspective was off the charts. And I actually started sweating games on the score uh, as well as a little bit on Action Network uh, at the time. But like I was really impressed with how good that experience was. And I didn't know about the score back in 2013, 14, 15. I don't even know when it started. You might, it's, it's pretty old, right? Oh, well, so it's, yeah, the score is very around. old. It's, it started as a TV company at first yep. and then expanded into digital. And I, I joined the digital team probably around 2011, which was like, it was in its infancy, score mobile for BlackBerry only. Um, I re- yep. used to remember like when we would get uh, customer support emails from like Steve Iserman, and I would say like just all, everyone was using the score. It was crazy at that time and uh, had a blast. But yeah, the evolution of that was great. Sportacular though, in, internally with the score was a huge, there was like a huge rivalry, like, because this was like, Head to head in North one A one B best yeah. best apps right. So I got to start first off. Uh, Peter mentioned sweating his bets on the score bet on the score app. Like you got to sweat your, app, your bets on Betstamp. Way better right now. We've huh. completely revolutionized the game on that. It literally will love it. It's gonna auto grade. You know when you're when you're a player when you got LeBron over on three pointers, he hits that last three. You're getting that notification. It's it's grading. Like there's none of this. Oh, gotta wait till the end of the game. <laughs> Anyways, and we handle stack corrections. Don't worry, we'll get it. We'll get it sorted. Yeah, out. I've been getting the corrections. You get the cor- when, good. when you get scum though on a correction that's, that you thought was a win. Yeah, uh, that's that's a painful experience. That's one of those like bet regraded and it turns into a loss at a half point. That's when <laughs> no, you want to throw the phone through the no wall. Good. Yeah, well, my my Yahoo Sportacular story is like like for all my friends who are listening, you'll know exactly who it is. But we have one buddy who like is just the guy who tries out every new tech app and everything. He's always messaging the group chat. And literally at that time, for sure, he's messaging like, oh, try this app. Like this app is better than this. He was always the guy who's like, we got to get on this new chat app. We got to get on this, everything. And one day I vividly remember him writing in and saying, guys, Yahoo Sportacular is way better than the score. And we were all using the score. We laughed at him for like a week straight about how like, what a, what a loser! Like he's gonna say Yahoo! Like we were all like Yahoo Fantasy Sports was like something we didn't like. We played on ESPN. I tried it out, Yahoo Sportacular, and it is one of the only th- he. This guy hits like ten percent on <laughs> on new apps, but boy, was this one was this one right? Like I actually switched over to Yahoo Sportacular full time after what, that. What platform were you on? Android, iOS, I was BlackBerry, on, uh, iPhone. Mm. Why? Was it wasn't my yeah. team? He was on Android. Okay, good. I'm glad I wasn't a direct split. But the reason I liked it is because it was just a cleaner look and it was a little bit faster. And um, the score bet, I didn't like it when they started putting in like too many news feeds. It's probably you. They started putting in all these articles and news feeds. I'm don't, like, don't, guys, don't, I don't, don't want to read the, the articles on, on the score. Yeah, I'm only looking for the scores. That's why I'm coming to the score. And you know what I don't need on my scores app? A discover feed, discover yes. page. You think I would be, you know me, <laughs> sorry to, to hijack this interview, Peter, but you know me, you think I'm the no, guy that would, that would replace the scores immediately with content. That's not what I, at one point for, they put the, the feed as the main page yeah. that you only got when you logged into the score, it'd pop, pop up feed my only feed, my feed. Eventually yeah. now, then they switched it where like, it just goes to the last one that you had open. But for a, a while it was like, I got to go read art. I got to go to the articles page every time I open the scores app and you're opening that app frequently. During the day, mm-hmm. 
you're a better. Yep. Anyways, sorry, Pete. Yeah, derail the conversation. No, no. I, I love this. I've nerded out on these apps so much. I think the difference in UI and UX and like, and those were the two best for sure. Um, it's really important. And, and a lot of enterprise value has been created from both of those. So uh, it's fun that we were all there for those early days and, and talking about it. And it's exciting to think about what everything's going to look like uh, going forward. I mean, you guys are innovating and crushing at Betstamp. It's it's great. Did you ever use Flash Score, Peter? No. Flash Score would be lots of tennis betters or soccer so, betters. So Flash Score, fun. absolute, is the most garbage UI. It's riddled with ads. It sucks, but they have the fastest scores for some sports. And like, if you're just... That's, that's why you're saying like the smallest improvement in UI UX is there. But then occasionally there's a subset of people, if you're betting or trying to live bet back in the day, which I was, you would need to use Flash Score. And this thing was like virus back in the day. And it ended up, ended up that was like a, a screen for me all the time. I had to have a Flash Score up and it, it'd pop up like, uh, like all the time, like closing. It was ridiculous. But anyways, I, I figured that would have been funny if you used that back in the day too. Uh, Rob, have you? Yeah, I know. I Flash score I would use to check soccer scores back in the day. Okay. Who, so who disrupted that space? Who won? Who's the winner now in that, that space? That's a good or question. For the, the, those things. I, I Honestly, I think the score bet just speed it, sped up enough that it's now fast enough where it, it's like roughly equivalent. I don't know if there's like a winner now. If you're live betting... Right, sorry, if you're looking for the absolute fastest scores right now, I personally use Bet365 live tool. So you go to, and it is mm -hmm. going to be the fastest for the, the American sports right now. So you go bet live, live betting, basketball, you're going to get, if you want the absolute fastest, you look at the odds move first, and then you can tell if a bucket was scored, but you won't actually know if it was like a three or two or a foul, right. something like that. But if you're watching the game on like national direct cable, it's about like a seven to 10 second head start in terms of the odds. And then like five seconds quicker, you'll get the actual score update. And I've been at, I was at a Raptors game last month with the score, with the three, six, five app open. And they must, I don't know what they do. They, they must have someone, someone at the, someone at the stadium someone there. talked yeah. about it. But like, as soon as that ball goes in, it flips to two. Like it's crazy. It flips to two points. It's nuts, Peter. You should you, try it. That's a great mode. Yeah, that's a great boat for Bet365 and part of the reason they're probably doing so well. I mean, that's a big data and information and speed is so critical for the picks and shovels businesses, but especially the operators. So kudos to Bet365. That make, that's awesome to hear. Okay, so what else uh, What else we got here? So you're, you're obviously involved in a bunch of different projects. A lot of them we've talked about on the show, had different members on. One of them that uh, is directly in sports betting and within our community is unabated. So we know you're a partner there. Do you want to describe your involvement and kind of what you, you see on that product and then establish the run as well? Yeah, unabated. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends and, and a lot of cross-pollination and content, which is a lot of fun. Um, you know, the big thing that we're focused on there is providing the best tools and, and odds for, you know, more serious betters at this time, which I think is a strength, but also a weakness for, for the business. I think long-term, obviously we're, we're hoping to reach more people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, a really fun project. Uh, we're building a lot of really interesting tools. We had the whole teaser thing. I don't know if you guys talked about the teaser tool. Um, and that's the yeah. challenge, like building really cool, innovative, helpful products and sports betting is challenging. So uh, I think we're offering a ton of alpha currently, um, and we just need to figure out kind of what the long-term looks like. Part of my big view is that there's going to be more peer-to-peer -peer games 
So I'm really excited about building tools for like Survivor and Pick'em. And I really like the sports betting championship. And I hope we see more and more stuff like that because I think you can build more sustainable products. But for now, a big focus of ours is just making sure we have really good data and odds uh, for for professional bettors. And I think that's something that we're going to continue to reinvest in in 2023. Makes a lot of sense. So walk us through a typical day or even a week for you right now, Peter, because you're involved in a lot of different things, right? I did the intro up off the top. You'll have Lucky Trader on top of that. Like you have a lot of projects on the go at once. So how do you divide your time um, on a daily basis? Like what's your involvement in each one of these companies? I'm, I'm just very interested in terms of a breakdown of your your time allocation and how you keep basically managing all these different things because me and Johnny can speak from experience. I think like a couple things on the go for us and we want to like pull our hair out. So basically how do you do it? Yeah. It's something I'm trying to get a lot better at just in general. Um, a big part of my foundation daily is, is going to the gym with my friends. Uh, that's like the, how I'd like to start my day. And I think it's really, really important to just have time to invest in yourself. So I really try to make that a priority four or five days a week. And just get that camaraderie, competitiveness, and then also working out. So that's a foundation. Uh, on the back half, the other thing that's super important is uh, family. So I, I really try to make a, a point to be with my daughter and wife uh, for like dinners and, and and you know kind of the bedtime routine for Gracie. And then in the middle, I'm trying to do as much as I can to hustle uh, with all these di- different uh, ventures. So there's calls and there's times you want to do content and then there's you know trying to put things together. Uh, I'm really trying to figure out how I can add the most value to each of these things. And um, that's ultimately going to be the most important thing from like a business perspective in my life. So the, the great scenarios are when you can create like win-wins um, like the solver was a really exciting project that came to fruition this year. Um, and you know, obviously ETR is involved in that. Uh, and then, yeah, like right now at unabated, I think we're kind of at an inflection point from just products and, and trying to figure out how to market the business better. So, uh, spending a lot of time on that as well. So each day, each week is different today. I was fortunate to go skiing with one of the, the founders of, uh, fantasy labs who's now working at unabated Kevin, one of the engineers. So that was a great day. Kill two birds with one stone. Um, it's actually, but yeah, uh, I, fed two birds. Fed two birds with, with one scone. scone. We don't want PETA after us. Yeah, we don't. We don't. Um, okay, I, sorry. Use I use a, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like another great thing it's would be like off playing inside joke. Sorry, Peter. Okay. Oh, it's great. But like playing golf with Johnny. Like when he was out here and never like those are like my favorite things. Like we get to play golf in Vegas. Like I want quality time with people I respect that can add value in mutually beneficial ways, and that's kind of the main thing I'm trying to figure out with these things. And it's like, great. Like another example would be like, you know, ETR and underdog, like that's a great partnership where ETR is this great fantasy audience. Obviously you can bring them over to underdog where they're offering all these fantasy products. Like that's been a really good marriage. So, uh, just trying to find win-wins like that and, and, uh, really trying to be as, as proactive and helpful as I can from a fundraising and product side as well. Where do you think, uh, this is a per- very personal question, but where do you think you provide the most value in terms of, um, you know, provide the most value to these companies? Do you think it's your your reputation in the space, your experiences in the space? Uh, I'm just curious, like, you know, you, you kind of said, basically, you want to provide va- value in everything that you're working on. What do you think is your best quality that you bring to all these projects that you're working on or a part of? It's, it's, I mean, I think there's a lot of things I could do a lot better at. Uh, I could be a better executor. Um, I think in certain ways I could, um, provide like more direct value with like, like Captain Jack does a great job for community. I want to do stuff a little bit like that better. I think my strength is more on like putting the pieces together and the high level stuff. Um, and part of that comes with like fundraising and, and just making deals happen. 
Um, so that's, that's probably where I, I get the most enjoyment where I think I'm adding value. I think the reputational stuff, um, certainly can be additive. Um, it's something I want to continue to get better at as well. Um, but yeah, I think especially relationships over time, like one thing that's really important to me that I think is important for anyone who's trying to build businesses, partnerships, et cetera, is like trying to provide value and see things from the other person's point of view or the other company's point of view. So that's something that I, I really take pride in is like, okay, how can we create a win-win here? What's important for the other side? How can there be like a one plus one equals three situation? Uh, that That is the most satisfying and exciting thing to me. And uh, I'm hoping to do more of that in 2023. What is the most exciting thing that you're working on right now? Oh, we put them on the spot big time. Uh, wow, that's a really good one. We have a really cool value feed, I think, coming at Unabated that I'm super stoked about. Um, there's some products there. I think Underdog has some amazing products coming out this year. The growth of Underdog and Prize Picks has been incredible. So that's been really fun to see. And then, yeah, I mean, probably the most um, I don't successful, but uh, I think there's a lot of improvements that we can make at ETR, even though I think they did an amazing job last year. So some combination of those three things uh, would be would be my answer. And sorry to, to hedge my bets so much there. No, um, yeah. Those are like, and all different things, like a a really cool tool. Uh, I'm excited about the content side of things with ETR. And then from an operator perspective, I just think what underdog's doing is awesome. Well, okay. Let's, let's stick with that for a second. You made a good, you made a good, uh, a good choice by the way. Right. So no one can get offended. You can just say this, listen, I'm on a sports betting podcast. These guys reach a sports betting audience. I got a plug unabated and an underdog and, and call it a day. So you're, 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 you hedge both. And, uh, I, I agree with you. I li- like what unabated is doing underdog, obviously just going live in Ohio. They got the temp license in Colorado. Um, probably a few more States, but for those of you unfamiliar, if you're in a variety of us States that are unrestricted, you could play at underdog on like their kind of fantasy pick them, uh, challenge. And then I believe they are launching now um, in the regulated sports book space. We have a traditional book. I mean, if you want to talk a little bit more about that, Underdog, our, our uh, listeners are right up that alley. Yeah. I mean, Underdog's doing so many. Have you guys tried the best ball products? We, we, they took them out of Ontario. So we can't personally play, oh, which yeah. is tough. But. So, yeah, it's hard to, and I get it. When you can't play, like, I, I don't know if I can't do it, like, or experience myself, it's very hard for me to, like, get into it or talk about it. But uh, the playoff best ball, like knowing your guys' background, you guys would crush it. It's so much fun. It's a DFS contest or essentially a DFS contest where it takes your best players every week and just automatically you play them. And then with the playoffs, it starts in, you know, some of the contests start in the wild card round. Some of the contests start in the divisional round. So you have to have players that do well every week, but it becomes like a futures bet as well. Because, you know, now like you could have been all over the Cowboys or whoever else who had a great wildcard week, but now are out and they're not going to give you any points in the conference championships and the Super Bowl. And the majority of the money is paid out to the Super Bowl winner. So it's like a really interesting game theory where you're like trying to draft good fantasy players, but guys that can make the Super Bowl. And especially in the wildcard round, it's like really tough to like kind of figure out what to do because the Eagles and Chiefs are obviously likely to make the Super Bowl, but they don't give you any points in that first week where you have to like win in advance. So I love that product. I love the season long stuff. And then it's crazy. I'd love to hear your guys' perspective on like prize picks and and underdog, like the growth of those pick em games. I mean, it's just off the charts how much those are growing. Are you guys playing, doing content around them? What are your guys' thoughts? Uh, I'll, t- I'll answer it first right now. I will, I will say, because we, we do be honest with the listeners here at Circles Off, underdog and prize picks. Eight, you are able to beat them. You can win on those sites, absolutely. Um, however... 
it is much easier to win on traditional sports book because they don't the, the payout process there is a little bit different than what you're probably used to in a traditional sports book in that they don't return the risk amount in the payout. So it looks like you're getting a much bigger payout than you actually are. So first and foremost, that, however, the thing with underdog and prize picks is they're so fun. You can just, it's basically prop parlays is what yep. it is. It's like a five team prop yep. parlay. And Way more hold. I would love to dig into that too, by the way, because it's so, like your what you said is a hundred percent true. I just want to give. I just want to be honest with the customers, right. with, with with like the customers of their site, for example. Like if you are playing there, it's going to be fun. There is more options. There's definitely a lot more you can do, and it's simpler of a game for sure. However, if you're looking to make money, you're going to want to stick traditional sports book, and you can do those same prop parlays and get a, a higher payout. Um, you just we'll have to mix them and match them from different games as opposed to the same game. And if you're doing same game, you can do same game parlays. But most books will not allow multi same game parlays. There's one that does now. But anyways, that's my rant. That's what I think about them. I like the games. I can't play them myself because they're currently banned in Ontario, but um, would definitely be doing that if I was in uh, a regulated state there. So what do you think, Peter? Or Rob. So I was, I was Rob, first Rob. introduced to Underdog by Peter at the Bookie Better Breakfast at Bet Bash 2 where he talked about it and said, check it out. And then I was doing a lot of research into it. And I'd heard of prize picks before. I think this is just like the natural evolution of the betting space where like people are kind of sick and tired of like just the basic traditional type of sports betting. And they're looking to vary it up a little bit. This appeals to the vast majority of the population. So I'm not surprised when I see these companies starting to take off now because people do like the element of parlays. It creates more excitement. The element of a bigger payout creates more excitement. Not having to just pick the side and total on a game and being able to use player props and stuff like that creates more excitement. So to me, this is like the natural evolution. I had wish I had known about this a long time ago, Peter, because I probably would have been on board with a product like this, but uh, I think it's cool. Honestly, I do like it. And it, I remember like my first experiences playing DFS where it created like this sense of camaraderie amongst our our friends and our groups where we were just talking about stuff every day like what players are you playing tonight what are you doing this tonight and i think that prize picks and underdog what they've done well is created a sense of community as well where people are sharing their lineups showing other people what they're doing um i i just i mean i i can see why it's booming for a better like me i don't really have the appetite for that personally but I'm probably in the vast minority in the style that I like to bet. So, um, yeah, that's just my two cents. I haven't, I, you know, I haven't dug too deep into the products or anything like that in terms of being able to play them because of uh, geolocation restrictions. But I mean, uh, I, I I can see the appeal for the mass population. Yeah, you guys nailed it. Uh, it's super interesting. Uh, I do agree that that's where things are going, and I think a lot of this stuff uh, makes a ton of sense. I think the one thing they really got right is. In general, people love these parlays and, and lottery type payouts. And I think that's something that's really critical going forward. And hopefully there'll be less and less hold in a lot of these markets. And I think that's one fair criticism of these, you know, of prize picks and underdog is, you know, the holds are higher. And what you see is, yeah, a higher percentage of people, you know, are going to lose. I don't think they're losing. I mean, anyone can lose a lot of money anywhere, but like broadly they're, they're higher holds, um, but it's lower stakes than I think a lot of people, like there's a lot more like people who are doing $5 on like a five leg player uh, parlay yep. versus like the person who's betting the same, like a similar type of person might bet a hundred dollars on just like a prop bet. Right. That being said, what's really interesting is like the 0.1 percentile are crushing these sites. Cause there's, they're currently not limiting people. So like, I know for a fact that there's people who are making like six, seven figures, um, 
on these things, even though there's so much hold, there's all these correlations and all, there's things that they can do. And like, you know, WNBA, for instance, those lines are not nearly as efficient as the NFL uh, pick them parlays that they have or pick them, uh, pick them products that they have. So it's really interesting when you just start like looking at the opportunities, like there's definitely some people who are crushing them. Um, so yeah, it's like on this extreme end, if that was like your main, main focus, you could do really well. Um, and then I think it is good for like the super casual person who wants like $5 of entertainment that night. Everyone has different motivations when they bet plain and right. simple. What my motivations are might not be the motivation of all my friends who are looking to just entice their sport, uh, sorry, like increase their sports betting experience, like uh, in terms of entertainment uh, on a nightly basis. And I think this product just really lends itself to doing that. Um, that's not to say that you can't get entertainment out of a traditional sports. We can get entertainment in for sure. way you want, but it's, it, it, I, I understand the, the appeal to it. I'm not trying to like uh, down. Oh, first off, one thing before before I forget. Underdog NBA, the Twitter account. Oh, yeah. So it's our fantasy labs, guys. It, it's just a fan, right? So, so yeah, it's so, the same. We did that with the fantasy labs NBA. You remember? guys had a fantasy labs NBA. So essentially what I was going to say is, uh, listen, it's no longer an edge right now. For the most part, it's completely dried up. You're not going to be able to beat the steam unless you have like really slow moving uh, PPH or something like that. But realistically, last year, you were able to get a significant amount of CLV just turning a tweet notifications on for underdog NBA and the year prior fantasy labs NBA. And then legitimately just steam steam chase when a, a guy got out, like, you know, Dame Lillard ruled out LeBron ruled out someone ruled in and beat in and just hit that side or the other side subsequent to the news, big edge, great product that you guys made. But again, like anything edge dries up and I, Rob and I, we we were there and saw we, we like I've specifically seen a sports book at a reputable big sports book trading like a trader at the sports book with four screens and one of his screens was a tweet deck and one of his tweet decks was just underdog NBA. So of course. eventually it, it comes to the point where the edges go away. It's the hard part about betting, right? Like the, the teaser tool is a great product, it, it, but exactly. then like yeah, so an operator starts looking at it and that's that's something that i think is really challenging and interesting about the sports betting space so like yeah always open to ideas uh and i know you guys are building a lot of really cool stuff it's just like that to me is like one of the really you want to provide value but like at the same time you have to be really thoughtful about how you provide it because edges inevitably go away i wonder what if uh the success in prospects and underdog is large those companies are both crushing it but i wonder if like you would probably know the splits a little better how much of that action comes in like regulated versus unregulated states for traditional gambling? Because right now those companies have kind of, uh, you know, work around call it where there it's typically not, it's technically not a gambling so they can operate in different states. And um, because of that, you have like fantasy players and people who are, who might be in like Florida, for example, and are able to play there, but can't actually bet on like DraftKings FanDuel or, uh, you know, MGM Caesars. Any thoughts on that, Peter? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important. I mean, that's it's really cool. These are fantasy products, and I think that hopefully there's even more evolution in like predicting players and and that element of like turning it into a fantasy game. I think is really important, and I hope we can to see more iterations on that because yeah, it is a huge um, arbitrage. I guess maybe that's not the right word, but like from an operator perspective, it's like yeah, you, like FanDuel and DraftKings having a DFS product was a huge customer acquisition edge over the traditional books uh, when it comes to acquiring customers in states where. They have explicitly legal fantasy bills, but they don't have the sports betting regulation yet. So my goal and what I you know hope long term happens, and what I think the, most of the industry hopes happens, is that we just see 
you know, legal sports speculation across betting, fantasy, whatever across the states. Um, and hopefully that comes sooner rather than later. But obviously it's a, a process and it's a state by state thing at this point in time. Um, do you see yourself continuing to like expand your footprint into other sports betting companies, whether it's the fantasy space, betting itself or something unique, or is this like you got what you got now enough on your plate? I'm just curious, are you actively like looking for other opportunities that are out there in the space? What goes on in terms of your like personal portfolio? Yeah, I definitely am, am still interested from an investing perspective. I, I definitely am. Uh, I think one um, thing I'm really thought or cognizant of going forward is just like being thoughtful with my time and not being oversubscribed. I want to be able to provide value and I definitely uh, am limited on time. So from a sweat equity perspective, definitely have the plate full, but still interested in investing. Um, obviously, it's a, a little bit different macro. And I think one mistake I made as a you know, just from an investing standpoint as an investor was, was over-allocated during the, the the boom of 2020, 2021 into the early part of 2022. So going to be more selective than I've been in the past maybe, but still super interested in the space, especially if I can be a value add. So I have some other investments that, you know, are in the space I think are really cool. Shout out to the uh, better pool guys that have runyourpool.com mm-hmm. and uh, myopsfootballpool.com. I think that's a really cool space. Um, and there's some others that I, I think are, are really interesting, but yeah, from a time perspective, uh, it's really hard to do a lot of things well. And I think oftentimes the best results come from when you're just like hyper-focused on, on one thing. Is there anything that piques your interest outside of sports or crypto? I've tried that big time. Uh, I'm really interested. At, one of my favorite deals is a, a climate company that makes uh, motors. It's called Turntide Technologies. Um, they're pretty big. They almost went public in 2021. Amazon, Bill Gates, a lot of big names and, and big companies are behind them. Basically, they make more efficient motors down to like for like refrigerators, um, you know, HVACs, uh, air conditioning units. They basically took kind of the, some of the a similar technology and motors for nuclear power plants, which is like a huge amount of you know power. And we're able to make motors like 50% more efficient, which is a huge thing for climate change because a lot of Kind of what's going on uh from an energy perspective is just wasted energy mm-hmm. so um i've played in a lot of things like that i've looked into other tech companies candidly i haven't had as much success outside of sports and crypto and i think that's a good lesson for anyone listening just like broadly you're gonna have the most alpha in your own lane and i think i was a bit arrogant to think that i would have the same investing success in areas i didn't know as well um, but I'm still super interested in that. And I think one challenge in the betting world is like, I really hope in my life that I can have a big impact and a positive impact on society. And I do think that there is a, a really positive impact that we have in betting. I think it's the best entertainment in the world and we're enhancing great entertainment, but I would love to do something that uh, has like a, a different type of positive impact uh, one day. So I'm still interested. I got humbled in the last couple of years trying to do way too much. And now I'm just really trying to, you know, be strictly focused on these sports businesses. Uh, a big part of my ethos is just trying to be successful. So I want to make those wins and then we'll see what, what life brings down the road. Do you uh, invest in uh, stocks at all or uh, stonks? As, oh yeah. Uh, the, as the kids call them nowadays. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a, that's how I spend part of my day as well as I like at night, I'm listening to mostly finance podcasts and that was my, I was a stockbroker for a year and a half. So I got like my series seven, 63, and uh, my dad is retired and is like obsessed with with that stuff. I don't trade very often. I hold like twenty stocks and have positions, um, but I'm really th- I really spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, one thing that might be applicable is 
the big mistake I made from the last couple of years was I kind of thought of all my investments as like in terms of buckets. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have my money in crypto. I'm going to have my money in private investments. I'm going to have some money in stocks. I'm going to have some money in real estate. And I evaluated each of those buckets as if I was like a young risk on person instead of thinking about the whole thing holistically. Right. So my big mistake and where you know I got hurt was I probably had too much money in the stock market relative to my overall portfolio when I was so risk on everywhere else. Startup founder with a lot of illiquid private companies, yeah. crypto, like why do I need more like, even though it's less risky than those, why do I need so much exposure in stocks when it, like the macro is good, I'm going to do well. So I've gotten more defensive. I'm really interested in like the uh, short-term opportunities, especially in like CDs, treasuries, things of that nature. Uh, so I'm a bit more defensive than I've ever been, but I think from a holistic perspective, it makes sense given I'm still risk on everywhere else. Makes sense. Just another form of bankroll management when you think about it. And no one, I don't think anyone really gets that right the first time regardless. So, um, at least you're open about it. And it works for so long. Like, you know, when I first came into money, 2011, 12, 13, 14, like I would just put in the stock market and it's gone nothing but straight up. And of course, like that was just the hubris. It's like, oh, everything's gone up. I'm investing. I'm a young person. Like this is all going to work out. And like, yeah, I was over invested for sure. Uh, at the end of 2021. Did you buy GameStop? <laughs> no. So I never have done that stuff. Like I own boring stuff. Like my biggest positions are like Costco. I guess that like Amazon's a big tech stock, but like I own like, I own gold. Like would people think that like, I'm a like, you know, a young guy owning gold is like a 34 year old is probably pretty <laughs> boomer, but uh yeah, like absolutely... I, I, I own. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I own uranium. I'm really interested in nuclear power, um, Walmart. Like I have some non-sexy stocks that, that I'm that I'm interested in. All right. Well, listen. This is in no way financial advice, nor, nor would I ever be qualified to give you financial advice. That, that, take a look you. at keg.un. <laughs> Keg.un. It's no, we're just another, it's another inside, off, inside another joke. inside this joke. This is this is for those listening. Again, absolutely not financial advice. This is the royalty fund for the keg, Rob and I's favorite restaurant here in here in Ontario. So did you guys did you guys day trade during uh COVID? Because I got super into like I was like I was not day trading, but I I've been a long-term buy and hold guy broadly, but during COVID, I was like watching, you know, bar stool and watching, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Pre so Prez was hilarious. Like I, I I was I was pretty interested in just like trying to figure out what's going on in the world. I, I didn't trade a lot, but I traded way more than I ever have during that time. I, uh, I didn't, I hate, I hate stocks personally, um, mainly just because like, I, I know roughly what it takes to, to beat one market in sports betting and how difficult it is and how much time and effort and energy and know how you need to be. And then I also know how like deep the spectrum goes. And then when it comes to like the stock market, personally, I just don't, I don't feel like I have an edge and I, and I don't feel I'll ever be able to have an edge, nor am I even close. So yes, you can buy and hold and just invest in the whole market, but um, I'm definitely not a whole like picker and I'm definitely not a, a day trader, but I will I'll let Rob answer and then I'll tell Good you what I, did do, what I did do during the, during the pandemic. So I did, stocks. I did trade a lot of crypto during the pandemic. Um, oh baby. Which honestly went really well. I, 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 I can't say I really had an edge there or not, but it was pretty successful. I was trading on leverage, uh, sometimes as high as like <laughs> ten times. It was it got Oh give me give me your best crypto story. I, I I love this. I honestly don't have good ones. Like the the I, I do not have good crypto story. I, I guess the best crypto story was somebody telling me to buy Ripple a long time ago and me telling them about how much they're an idiot and it's like not, you know, it's 
and it's it's not decentralized and so on. This is like a bullshit crypto and whatever and so on and so forth. And that person's like now retired. Like just they, they like to rub it in my face every now and then. But I don't have good crypto stories because for the most part, I'm very, um, I'll get really into it for like three or four yeah. weeks, right? Where it just consumes everything. I can't even go to sleep at night without waking up and checking my phone every two hours to see what prices are, especially when you're trading on leverage and you have something open overnight. Uh, there'd be times where I'm awake for like 48 hours straight. I'm wired. And then it just get the burnout. And I'm like, why do I do this to myself? And I become very disinterested in in crypto. So I'm not a guy that has great stories. I don't. Like I've I've had some swings, but I've had so many of them that I can't even recall them. It's like it's like being a poker player, right? With the bad beats and your big wins. And it's like, I can't, I don't remember the worst beat of my life. I don't remember my biggest win in poker. Like I don't remember any of that. It's just all a blur because I go so hard at it at once that like I then just distance myself from it, if that makes sense. Totally. And it's important to be able to forget and like handle that emotion. I think it's very applicable in sports betting. I mean, obviously tilting and like making emotional decisions and any of these things is going to get you killed. And Johnny, I couldn't agree more. I don't, I don't necessarily think I have an edge. Uh, I certainly don't think I have an edge like in, in uh, trading stocks and day trading. I think that's like, especially now, like that's a, you need like a lot of assistance from computers and we'll, it'll be interesting to see what AI does there. But like, yeah, my, my broad view is if you're young and you can find companies and you do a lot of work on like very specific companies, you might be able to have an edge, especially it is a way more efficient market than even sports betting, but it's a lot easier to win when you have less money. It's way harder. Like it's way easier to have like 30% returns if you're managing a million dollars than if you're managing a billion dollars, yep. for example. Yep. So like, I'm I'm curious and like I I, I probably am not winning, but I, I I'm competitive and and hopefully one day can can feel confident I might have some alpha. So so I feel like well first off you teased your your greatest crypto story so we got we got to hear those before we get too far and like I, I don't see how we don't ask you now what's <laughs> what's your best crypto story then? Uh my favorite crypto story is probably uh, from CryptoPunks the first CryptoPunk I bought I bought in uh, early 2021. Uh, later I bought that one and then I flipped a couple like floors up to my current, my profile picture and that profile picture I bought in the, uh, parking lot of the hospital before my daughter was born. So that was a cool story. And then the best financial win was the, the first crypto punk I bought, I bought for gosh, 21 ETH or something, which was like 36 K at the time and sold it near the top in August of 21 for 288 ETH of basically a million bucks. So that was, that was pretty wild to see some pixels basically be a million dollar PL uh, or profit in, in a year's time. Quick Taxes come up, sucked, but quick come up. If I if I I've had other bad losses too. I want to like I like I invested a ton like Bales and I invested in like um Goons of Patroon. I probably lost like 30, 40 ETH. I lost money on Zed, which I thought was so cool, the virtual horse racing. Yeah, yeah. Like my overall PL in crypto from an NFT trading perspective is not like amazing. I did really well with punks and like kind of shitty with everything else. Oh that's like literally every industry though. You, you're like, oh, I, I did well with Bitcoin and got slaughtered on the alts. Like, and that's kind of how yeah. it is, you know? If we're yeah. including NFT stories, Johnny has seen this video. I've never shared it publicly before, but I did, I did record my wife's face the first time I told her that I bought a CryptoPunk. And she was like trying to figure out what this was. And she saw the dollar amount next to it, like it, the conversion from ETH to US dollars. Yeah. And she saw what it was. 
and she it, she was just not was not processing this dude that's the best video i've seen <laughs> she's like on the video just for the listeners here she's like so you just bought this for this much money and it was like it was a lot right um and then and she's like and this sold previously six months ago for twenty dollars <laughs> we're just like I, 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 bought, I bought a punk for 47,000 that had sold pre the previous sale was 20 bucks. So oh, I love that so much. Yes. His, his, and then he's like, and then Rob's just in the video. He's like, this is our retirement, babe. And she's like, <laughs> what, what are you serious? And <laughs> she was so, she was very unhappy that she, day. Who is, she's like, I'm calling Tyler right now. Calling, I don't even know who that is. Just but it's one of her friends story. to tell her about how ridiculous of a story this is and how much, uh, yeah, but that, that was jokes. It, it worked out. That what what out. I did, uh, so I wanted to tell this quick. Well, what I did during the pandemic, which was related to stocks, was uh, one of the uh, larger um, sports books. I don't really want to say the name, but it's like the second sharpest and uh, not a sponsor of the podcast. And then, so they were hanging lines when basically what they did was um, they were hanging lines on like, what will the Dow close the day at? And then what will S&P 500 close the day at? And they're taking uh, 1K limits. Obviously, they allow rebet. So pretty much, you know, they'd move them, but also they wouldn't really move them as much. And um, essentially, what I was, what I did was just like, well, myself as well as uh, my partner, we we basically like model out the volatility on how it would work with that kind of stuff. And then like, hey, wh what is this? Like, where can we find an edge here? Like the volatility from now until the end of the day. And we ended up, it's never going to come back. So I don't mind giving this out. But basically, we came out with like, some rough model that showed that like the volatility from like an hour in to close is super high. So they were just pricing it based on the current and then they'd take action and flip. But you could have, you could get some stuff at like plus 380, plus 400, plus 700 to go up above a, like a certain alt. And then they were hitting like every three days. Cause like the volatility at the end was so crazy. So we ended up cleaning up on that. And that was my love that. stock trading. They didn't price it with the right distribution. Not basically. even close. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also it was crazy. Like, like th these things were up and then we'd have like, I'm not a politics guy at all. And we'd put on like, we'd be like, oh, Trump's about to speak. Get, get it on the TV. Like, cause, cause like it's impacting, it's impact the markets. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. it's massive. Yep. The, the coolest crypto story ever that was like a crypto prediction market was, did you guys see all the stuff about uh, Trump after after he had lost, right? Uh, technically, like it, Biden was going in. There was a huge market where you could bet if Trump was going to be president like a month later, two months later, three months later. And there's one person who provided like tens of millions of dollars of liquidity on one of these uh, markets. So you could go out and basically say, I don't think Trump's going to be president. I'm willing to risk 95 cents to win five cents or whatever. I don't remember the exact Race. I mean, they changed obviously over time, but that was like a crazy market for a stretch of that time. That was on Betfair, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or there was Betfair, and then Poly Market was the the huge one, that's, where there was like this massive, massive whale. I remember, um, I remember hearing about that, which was like the the election was over, but yeah, people still thought it, there was an, a chance of an overturn. Yeah, I got to read and it's rules. <laughs> house rules. The game's not played by a certain date. Yeah, house rules always. Sorry, go ahead, Peter. And that's what's interesting about the betting markets and some of these exchanges and different things. And obviously, there's different legalities wherever you are. So just do your own research on that. But like those markets can be so much different than like other huge, huge markets, which you assume are like way more efficient. So like your stock stuff, like that was probably easy to go out and find like good, not, e not easy, but like you could find reliable data and like do the work and like actually realize like you have a, a real edge, you know, like it's not just like a lot of speculation, like you can actually quantify the stuff.
Yeah, no, like at one point we were doing it and then we're like, wait, like we're getting like plus 800 and this is like roughly 50-50. Like this is hitting every, this is hitting like every other day. It's right crazy. Now. Yeah. The things we did to bet during COVID, man. I mean, I remember betting on bales with the push-up competition as well. I that mean, was a good one. I was tech, Kanish, I, I was the, yeah, Kanish who couldn't do like 150 push-ups in 15 minutes. But I remember mess, like messaging. Kanish was him. on the wrong side of that one. Oh, Kanish got this. Was, it was actually the, oh. he's, he's tried to get those videos removed from the internet. Wait, wait we're not talking about the bales bet here. We're talking about the Kanish bet. Okay, so actually, did you know about that? Oh no, I'm talking about the bales thing, but okay. I, I, I actually I think I heard about this, but so tell what the story. Was, okay, so Kinesh, so Bales did the bet where he did whatever twenty twenty four hundred push ups, a certain amount of hours. Twelve hours. He won, so he won the bet, and then Joey Kanish posted a video. You know, good friend uh, of the program, Joey Kanish, uh, the Hammer HQ, um, hit the books HQ. Anyways, Kanish put out a video just like pumping out a couple like random shitty push-ups or both for and he's like i can do whatever push-ups and then someone challenged him if he could do 150 in 10 minutes and then uh dave mason put out a line for it and oh i love this and it was born and he put out the line as like favorite to not do it but super badly mispriced (laughs) kanish ended up ripping off like I think he ripped off 30 half-ass and then eked out another 15 <laughs> called it a day. He was legitimately at the point of, of like muscle fatigue. Like he could not pump out another, even his shitty form push-ups, he could not pump out another one. Like he was, he tried and his muscles just failed on him. Like he, he couldn't. Oh my his, goodness. Yeah. So if you go look at his Twitter mentions, anytime he gives out a pick and it wins, like there will still be someone in the mention saying like slowly getting back the money I lost in the push-up. Bet. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. to me. That's another thing. Like, I really hope that there's more just like prop bets. And of course it's really hard to have bets on those things. You need to have trustworthy people. You need to have real markets, but like there's nothing better than a good prop bet. And there's nothing better than a physical prop, bet. especially if it's a situation where someone can train for it. And like, it's a win-win regardless. Like I did a pull-up competition versus Bales. I was getting like plus 20 or something like that. I lost, but I really won because I got like in way better shape. I did all the pull-ups like, and I'm not saying like, obviously it's things to lose, but like, I love prop bets like that. Okay. So on this topic, I got asked, I got asked, if we didn't put it in the notes, apologies, the billion dollar flip. So it's a question that we've asked to a few guests. I think uh, none more timely than than to ask it to you right now. So essentially, here is the scenario. You're presented a coin. You flip it. You call it in the air. If you win, you get $1 billion. If you lose, you get zero. At what amount of money would you like accept to forego the opportunity to flip? So like, I, I don't want to flip. Just pay me out whatever, a certain amount. So obviously, your expected value being... 500 million on that flip. Go ahead. I think the majority of people should probably uh, take like $20 million or something guaranteed or $10 million guaranteed, like something that just like is financial freedom for you and your family for the rest of your life. I think that's probably correct for almost everyone. Um, For me, I definitely, oh man, I'd probably take like 150 million, 100 million. And not see, flip. See, here's the question. Because I don't the- see it. The distinction for me is like, for sure, like the only thing past, like, let's say like 50 million or 100 million, like, yeah, it'd be fun to have like a couple cool houses and like maybe some more travel. Like a jet is like the main thing that it's, you'd want. This is this is Johnny's thing. It's got it. This is why. Like, that's mainly like the thing Jenny's you'd one. want. 
so if like if i if i could just guarantee i had a private jet and again i know there's bad things it's bad for the environment but like from a freedom perspective like which is like one of my top top values like i just want to do what i want when i want with family friends etc if you can just lock in a jet and a hundred million dollars plus like your life's amazing so like to me the difference to like a billion like i don't like i wish i had an answer where i'd say hey i would flip up to 500 million because the chance at a billion, if I had a billion dollars, I could make this change to the world. This would be the best thing for society. Like it'd be amazing if I could do that. But I I don't I don't think that I have that answer right now. This so actually, I would take like this is so close to the answer that Johnny gave that I'm actually getting shivers from dude, from listening. I, you gotta listen to my answer from like a year ago. It's this exact I haven't never heard your answer for no, what it's my answer worth. is this. I really want a private jet, but if I flip and win the billion, then I could then I could do something that changes the world. So my answer is in all likelihood I'm flipping, but it's not a, it's not a good EV move. It's a negative EV move, but the experience, I, I don't think I'd flip it a hundred million. I don't think I could flip. So especially right now too, I'm about to have a second kid. And like, I got like, I feel like I'm, I'm very fortunate and there's a lot of opportunity and things can go relatively well, but like, man, to just like guarantee all of our family being totally set up and like with a hundred million dollars, I definitely would have either access to a jet at all times or a jet like it'd be really hard to turn that down so so yeah fair enough i feel like though if you lost the 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 million like if you lost the flip like it, it will put you in like like i'm not saying you specifically i'm saying in general if someone lost the flip it would put you into an emotional downswing spiral so that's the only part i haven't factored in yet is like can i overcome the like, that'd the be trauma? so hard can i overcome the trauma of losing that flip but whatever also winning the flip for some people might be the worst thing that's ever happened to them i mean you guys have all seen this lottery stuff where like people like get depressed they lose family like crazy stuff happens to people who come into money that have no idea what to do with it like there's a huge downside to like getting a ton of money in certain ways that's a small that's a small consideration obviously you want like <laughs> Fair enough. obviously you want it but i'm just saying like a lot of lottery winners end up having miserable lives so, so the question is though, it's like, what is the least amount you would actually accept? And the reason why I think a hundred million is a bit of a weird answer is like a hundred million can't be the least you will accept. Because if you're willing to accept a hundred million, then you're definitely willing to accept 99 million. You know what I mean? So there's like, it, it, there's no way you're like, no, I'm, I'm flipping. If it's 90, if it's 99, I'll flip, but a hundred I'll take, right? It's a weird, a weirdish number. So maybe your number is like enough to calculate that you can get the private jet. Yeah. I mean, I guess in theory, I'd consider other numbers. Uh, yeah, maybe like 99, I'd probably take. So yeah, I was just like off the cuff thinking about it, but yeah, for sure. I wouldn't flip. I wouldn't not flip for like 10 million. And obviously you can't go buy insurance or do so like the, the, it's a hypothetical scenario. It's yeah. Just, it's a hypothetical. So like, like, like for like 5 million, I would definitely not do it. Like no chance at this point in time, like zero, like I would absolutely rather flip for it than, than take 5 million, 10 million. I feel like I would flip, but man, at the time it'd be hard. Uh, 50 million is probably a good question. Like, I feel like up until that point, I'd probably still want to flip for it. Because the cool thing is if you did win and you had a billion dollars, I mean, you can make real meaningful change. Agreed. The reason why this question came to be was really like uh, the YouTuber, Mr. Beast asked it on, he did like a series where he would ask people like, hey, do you want um, there? He'd be like, yo, do you want a thousand dollars or do you want to flip for, or do you want to flip for 10,000? And like everyone was taking the thousand. And it kind of put it into perspective for me of like, okay, obviously in that scenario, it's like, hey, I I'm not going to 
take a thousand bucks. Like I'll flip for the 10 K and then you like scale it up and you're like, all right, 10 K or a hundred K. Well, I'm going to flip for the hundred K and then you keep scaling up. And then I, I feel like the billion, the, like the billion is the first one where it's like, would you take the hundred million or would you flip for a billion? And that, if the question was phrased like that, I think it's even, it's even more of a crazy one where it's like, damn, like I, at the previous version, like 1 million, I'm not going to take, I'd rather flip for a hundred. Right. Like I, I think you'd agree given that you said you wouldn't um, flip for five, you'd flip instead of five. So it's crazy, but uh, puts it in the perspective on like also how fortunate that we are, that I guess we are in a spot that we don't need to, uh, you know, worry about like a day to day where the next meal is coming from. And a lot of people do, but yeah. uh, it's just crazy in terms of mindset, like how that works. If your net worth is zero and your earning potential is, let's say, like 65 grand a year or something like that, like what's the appropriate number where they shouldn't flip? And it's probably really low, like a half a million grand. bucks or a million bucks. Even a hundred grand. Yeah, I maybe think, even a hundred grand. I don't know. Well, look at look at the guy this week who won that um, 72K parlay. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking oh, about. The first first hitter? I, 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 or anytime touchdown. Did or I whatever. not give you Dalton it Schultz? Was first TD. It was Did first I not TD. give you Dalton yeah, you Schultz? Gave me Dalton first hitter. Schultz, Did I not also give you. Um, who, who was that? Who was the other one I gave you on the, in the Eagles game? Oh yeah. We got Dallas Goddard. Dallas gave him two first hitters this weekend, by the way, Peter, but it's all good. He also ran. Oh into the, baby, you guys are hot. He ran Love into it. the studio about five minutes before the start of the Cowboys 49ers game, asking me if I wanted to bet Brett Maher <laughs> not to miss an extra point at minus 300 with him. He conveniently left that part out of the story. <laughs> I didn't miss his first <laughs> extra point. Yeah. With the logic of, by the way, I'm projecting him to attempt under two extra points and yes. he did but obviously missed it anyways sorry what were we about to ask uh oh he the, the the guy that won the 72k parlay right and he posted he posted on twitter a picture of it and he said life-changing money right and immediately twitter the most toxic of platforms ever bunch of people are like what are you talking about this isn't life-changing money and this is like this isn't constitute life-changing money he's like well guess what i had like 100k of student debt i can now pay off three quarters of it to me that's changing my life considerably and like to each their own right in terms of of what you evaluate as as life-changing money it's kind of just like a tangent but it, it popped into my head because i i did see that today i'm like this poor guy has to defend himself for so disrespectful of course it, it, a, a couple like hundred bucks could be massive too, i think or five, like, five dollars to win or four dollars to win 72k something like that yeah some people can't afford to put their next meal their like their their debt is swallowing them and like it's just so disrespectful and yeah i mean there's a lot of value in twitter but there's especially gambling twitter there's just a lot of people that i wish they would take a more positive uh, side of things, but that probably won't happen. Well, let's keep it there for a second because uh, I've been involved in gambling Twitter since 2010. And then I kind of got involved in DFS Twitter for a bit as well. And forever, there's been like this clash and this rivalry um, and like this hostility. Um, Empire Maker versus Rufus comes to mind right away when they had that sort of beef going on. But there's been many over the years. There's so much overlap like if you draw a Venn diagram of the betters and DFS guys, there's like so much overlap, but for some reason or another, I think people identify as either a sports better or either a DFS player. Can you explain to me why there is so much hostility between these two communities? Or if there even is, maybe your perspective is different from mine, but I see this pretty regularly. And even in 2023, I still see this pretty regularly. 
Yeah, it's just a combination of FOMO and arrogance. I mean, people are you know fearful that they're missing out somewhere else that they don't know, and so then they project against it. And then there's the arrogance side of things. And the reality is, you know, you could apply both things to either one, and like you can probably find some edges. Like if you're a great DFS player, you can probably go out and figure out a way to beat props. If you're a great better, you can probably find some edges in DFS, especially in the early days where there was like that's where I I saw even more of it. And like I always was like, man what are you guys doing that are on the DFS side, like being arrogant to these big sports betters? You really want to get like Haralabob and some of these people like playing DFS. Like these guys are way more sophisticated than what you're doing on the DFS side. So I, to me, it's always been pretty foolish to think there's opportunity in both markets and uh, in general, like what are you gaining from like trying to bring someone else down? Like it doesn't make any sense to me. So, but that, none of that stuff has ever made sense to me. Um, and I get it. Twitter, you know, yeah, people people love to do that, and I, I get that there's shit posters and trolls and people that like that are really smart and funny, and like there can be some a good place for that. But in general, I think most negative stuff on Twitter is just a, a lose lose. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I I would like to uh, potentially, if Rob is even listening to this uh, on on Peter's uh, podcast, that I mean it's not it's not super active, but uh, the three donkeys, donkeys. podcast <laughs> they play a oh, game man. they play a game at the end usually called Laden. I'm wondering if we could do one round. Would we be able to do one yeah. round? Well, all right. We got to get Peter to explain the rules for listeners and and uh, just, you know, to brush up and then we'll, we'll start a round. Cool. Yeah. So Laden thinks that the name of the game is guessing whoever you ask the question to what they think. What the actual right answer is irrelevant. If I asked Rob how many stars are in the galaxy, which I think is a question I answered egregiously, the right answer is irrelevant. But Johnny and I would just be trying to guess what Rob is going to guess. So that's the name of the game. Whoever Laden is, you're trying to guess what they think. So, so it's Rob, a fun game. All, so essentially, we all reveal like our phones with the number at the same yeah. time. And uh, that's that's it, what we did. Yeah. So if Rob says a million, and then Peter says a billion, which is probably closer than and I and I say a two million, then I then I would get the point there. You would win. And the way we do on like real and there's really big numbers is the multiplier. Because someone might be closer in terms of like the actual number, but they're way off on like a multiplier perspective. Okay. So if like the right answer was like 10 million and someone said a hundred million, but someone said a thousand, right? Like obviously the hundred million to ten million is a bigger gap, but it's only ten times differential, whereas the thousand and ten million is and maybe I did the math wrong there, but like you get you get my point. Yes. Completely get it. Yep. Okay. So I guess I guess we'll we got to put you on the sp- spot, Peter. You're starting off. So I have to ask a question? Yeah, pick who you want to ask to, and then I guess uh, we'll, play, we'll play one round. This is okay, th- cool. this is a very scary one because you can't hide. Like, no, it's, you it, can't it, hide from we, this. It, it, it airs as is. <laughs> so it. Of course. Yeah, I don't care. I, I've looked like an idiot many times before, so don't worry. Okay. Rob, how many people in the United States named Mike made a bet <laughs> in the last year? Mm, okay, I, I, w- I won't look anything. You're, up you're allowed either. to use calculators, right? Yeah, I'm not looking at anything. I'm just going to my phone. I'm oh, not googling. That, I don't know look, how. How would you look this up? You well, maybe I would, figure I out look, how many mics there are. The first thing I would look up is the population of the U.S. So I'm now estimating that in my head. But I'm not going to give you any more information. You guys can 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 think it over. Um, <clears throat> named Mike made a bet in the year 2022. We'll just say that. Keep it easy. In in this year, okay. Mike, Michael, any iteration of of Mike. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hold up. You have to write it on your phone. Yeah, yeah. Here. Got a 
open up. I, I don't use notepads like everyone else does, but I'll. Okay. I got an answer. All right. I got an answer. I'm going to show. I said 250,000. 67,000. I said 1 million. There's no way, bro. So here's the logic. I don't think that's... I started off at 500K for what it's worth. Okay, okay. So here's the here's the logic. I'm estimating the population of the United States, which I don't know, but I'm guessing 350 million. Yeah, roughly. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. 300. So from there, I know that 20% of adults have made a bet in the past year. So I'm, I'm, I'm now... I'm, I'm deducing. Now, what population of that is male... I'm guessing at least 90%. So I use a 90% figure roughly. And then I think Mike is probably the most popular name. So I did something like in the three to 5% range of adult males are named Mike. That might be an overestimation, but that's With those calculations, you're roughly at going to be one in every 80 people is named Mike. I don't know. I I mean, I think Mike is an extremely you know popular name. It could be. All right. All right. Anyways, the name of the game is to get, uh, so is also, to get close to remember, Rob. Remember that, that like, the newer names? Newer hey, names here's a great one. Fair enough. Are not, are are not of the adult population yet. I think we're all low. Michael is ranked as the fifth most popular in the name in the United States with an estimated population of 4.13 million. 4.13 million. 4.13 guys named Mike. Now, yeah. now, what percentage of those are are uh, adults? Wait, but you have to go twenty one plus 20, population, correct? First, and then yeah. you, you take roughly twenty. Your your guess is probably pretty darn good. You know what? Pizzola's the man. All right, I got one. Um, I would have guessed way under four point one million. That that's why I kept going. Low. I was like, I thought there might be like a million or two million mics. Mikey, it's a it's a popular name. All right, I guess so. I gotta ask. Uh, I got I got one for Peter. So, mine would be. How many? Keyboard keys on laptops only are there currently in Canada. In Canada? Mm. <laughs> How many keyboard keys are there? These are these are really good. They get you thinking. That's a really good one. Gets you thinking, man. Hmm. Hmm. I could really embarrass myself on my knowledge of Canada here. The other thing with the Mike one is like, you could think of populations of percentage of mics in a certain area or number of mics. Like you might have way more mics in Philadelphia. More mics, more mics bet offshore. I'll say that right now. (laughs) More mics are betting offshore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's a great one. This is a great question too. Just laptops. Just only laptops. It, it also includes if you have a second laptop. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it doesn't have yeah, to be course. your active laptop. Yep. Someone could have 10 laptops in theory. Yes. Mm. All right. I got an answer. All right. My answer, I just got to um, quickly calc this because my... Uh, I'll put it on my phone as well, just so we, you know that I'm not trying to to dirty you with... Uh, okay. Yep. So, all right. I went with... Uh, so, keyboard keys, I went with uh, 1.125 billion. Wow. 
I went with 300 million. Wow, I'm terrible. I went one or I went with 12 billion. So I, I did some math wrong somewhere. Well, maybe not. Okay, well, maybe, I'll walk you through I, it. I'll walk you through it. Okay, so what I how did. How many people live in Canada? I don't know. 30, I was guessing 50 million. million. Yeah, 30, I said 50 million. So I, I went 36 mil. I mean, I think it's roughly that. I, 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 I actually, I, I didn't even look this up. I just assumed it was roughly 30, but you're probably right. Okay, so I, I don't went, know that. I went yeah. 36 mil and then yep. I went uh, roughly. Uh, so I, I think I did roughly, uh, based on the 36 mil, I did 15 million laptops. Oh, I 50 was, I, million or one, 15? One five. I went way lower. Oh, so yeah, I, I went way higher on yeah. laptops, okay. which is where I made a mistake, obviously. So I went essentially almost like just in between one, in between one laptop, one laptop for every like 2.5 people. Yeah. I, because a lot of people can, don't can, have a laptop. So my, my thing is this. Kids and stuff. In Canada, outside of like the major cities of provinces... You got a lot of desktop users. Not, not, well, or no computer people. Let's put it that way. Like, yeah, I, see, I, I underestimated that. If, the, if there's like a way higher percentage of people in Canada that actually don't even own a computer relative to other countries in the world, just because there's a lot of remote areas. And people probably have less laptops now than more I think about because of phones. And I tablets. Don't, I don't know. You, 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 I was thinking like one and a half with like work and people like... Like, and I guess a lot of people are, I just have desktops. I was, I, I made a really bad assumption on how many laptops there were. Okay. No, no. So wait, what did you assume laptops per person? I assumed like one to, I thought there was like a hundred million laptops and then I overestimated the keys. So I'm looking at my freaking thing. And I, I, I guessed a hundred keys. Way more keys oh, than Pete a freaking with the laptop. Number scroll there. I, get, I, I, I guessed a hundred keys, but like, I don't even know how many keys there are on a keyboard. I think there, I, I can't mine. It's like 15 times they're all different though. That's the thing. Like if it has the numpad. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. That's know. why the laptop. Yeah. All right. I hope the listeners are enjoying this and uh, no one shut it off yet, but we got one more to go. So I think that was my question to, to me. We need, so I'll so make you ask you a question, Johnny. So okay. Rob asked me, um, let's how many swimming pools are there in the United States? Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. And you could Google that too. So we can confirm who's who's. We right. can confirm that answer. Now we're gonna be. Now we're gonna look like uh, jackasses here. <laughs> I can't believe how many mics there are, and I way overestimated how many laptops. There's probably like one for every four or five, maybe. Cell phones are taking over. Like if you're a 12 year old, you don't have a laptop. You just have a phone. Yeah, well, and older people now they're on the iPads. That's it. Yeah, I Adults. fucked that up so bad. And there's my father who refuses to get rid of his desktop. But also, <laughs> I like I personally have like four laptops, like just around. I have three laptops at home. Yeah, yeah. So there. I mean, I I definitely hey. came under budget. Like I I, I significantly S- underestimated. Swimming pools? Does that count like a like a plastic little pool you get from like somewhere, or does it have to be like a pool that's like under like dug yeah, in ground? What, um, what do you think? Let's do. Um, you can add any clarification you want. You can make it as big as you want, whatever clarification. Let's do like in in ground, but it's not, I don't want to say not just residential, but okay, like so community hotels centers, and hotels counts. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's a hot tub count. Let's let's say a hot tub counts. Oh, baby, that changes the answer. It's a lot of hot tub only. Okay. I like that though. That okay, makes it more hot, fun. Yes. Swimming pools, hot tubs, in ground. Zach, you put in an answer here? I haven't, and I probably shouldn't because I'm trying to search up uh, so I can get the answer <laughs> okay. for you guys. Fair enough. I appreciate that. Wow. 
Okay, I have one number here that is come from three different sources and it's the exact same number, but I'm just trying to confirm exactly what it entails. Okay, so. all right, yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, as I, even if, to use that as a rough estimate is fine. My number's probably so bad. A lot of people have pools in the States, man. <laughs> okay, confirmed that this number that I have here is uh, for what you guys were looking at. Okay. Cool. I can give my answer first. I said 35 million. Okay. I said 16.5 million. 7.3 million. Okay. That's really close. No, I, I'm both like two X. Well, you would, would oh, you know, you're close. You're close. I'm sorry. I was thinking about the other way. You're, you're, you win. Yeah, That's Rob, easy answer. Rob won, Rob won. I yeah. was thinking we were asking Rob, you won. Nice work. So all, all I did was think of a ratio that I thought worked. And I think one out of every 20 people, like be, being a pool or a hot tub for one out of every 20 Americans sounds about right. To me. So I lowered the household for me, okay. and then I, I ended up going with one in every 55 Americans. Okay. You went one in 55. Yeah, one pool per 55. I, I'm very interested in the actual number. Okay, wait, example. wait. You didn't, so yeah. what was yours, Peter? I think it might be higher because of uh, like all the play, like all the businesses that happen, but I could be totally wrong. Okay, okay. Zach? Okay. Wait, what was Peter again? I was 35 million. So 35, I'm seven, and Rob is? 16.5. I'm, I'm definitely low. 10.7 million. Wow. You nailed wow. You guys nailed it. I went way well, too high. You Price is right rules. Johnny definitely. And either way, it doesn't matter. He's still closer. No? I was 7-3-3-3-3-3-3. Yeah. You guys were, you guys nailed it. And I, I'm the American, you know, I'm, I'm here. I should, I should be closer on that. that. That was a lot of fun. All right. What a, what a game. <laughs> it is a really good Play game. Play at home with your friends. That Pete is Jennings, John Bales, and uh, Adam Levitan uh, taught me this game indirectly via their, their podcast, which I, you can check out as well. Are you, are you guys still doing the podcast? What's the deal with that? Hopefully we bring it back. It got it got paused again, and it's been paused multiple times. So I hope one day we actually get in the cadence and do it because it's a lot of fun for us. You guys have like a producer and stuff? No. See, that, that'll that probably keep you honest. Zach, yeah, Zach there's, a lot, of, there's a lot of moving pieces. I love I love doing the pod, but yeah, hopefully it comes back one day. We, we, have, we need to put an infrastructure and stuff in place to keep us honest for sure. Is there anything else? I know you've been very generous with your time, Peter. Is there anything else you wanted to touch or uh, any other businesses you're involved that you would like to, uh, you know, promote? No, this has been super great. I'm really happy we got to talk through all this stuff. I could talk to you guys for hours and hours, all similar backgrounds, love this space, love what you guys are doing. And yeah, bet stamp's been awesome. People always ask me where they can track their bets and like you guys have absolutely crushed it. And we built that at Action Network, and I think you guys have done the best job by far. So kudos to you guys. I appreciate that. It's awesome what you guys are building. I should have asked, instead of swimming pools, how many pairs of sneakers you thought Jennings had. I thought, I think that would, because I, I honestly have no idea. Oh, and but he still guesses. because it's He yeah, still it's guesses because yeah. it's own, because he's guessing what you would think. Yeah, that would have been a good one. Always uh, see new ones. You want to go close? I've been slowing down. You've been slowing bought down. More, well, bought more sneakers in 21 and, and 20. Bear yeah, bear market on bear sneakers. market. Got to cut it, cut down the sneaker buying. Wait, I got a question for Peter. Uh, I'm really into the sneakers too. What's your favorite pair that you have? Not like the best, not the most valuable, but like your personal favorite pair you got. Yeah, I'm obsessed with the Jordan ones now, the lows for golf and for wearing out. So, uh, 
some comment, some colorway of those. There's the black and purple ones I like for golf and for wearing. Uh, there's definitely like a cooler. There's some sneakers I like aesthetically more. I really like the fours. I hope in the 11s, but just for like day-to-day golf and, and going out, uh, I'm really into the ones. What about you? Well, mine are the Air Max 90s. I don't know, something yeah. about the Air Max 90s. I just That was the first pair of like legitimate like sneakers that I went out and bought myself. And then that just since then, I like have an affinity for the Air Max 90s. Yeah, I love those. I have some like uh, wine cork Air Max 90s that are really cool. They're golf shoes. I've never worn yeah. them. They're like, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. I love them too. That conversation is so far out of my comfort zone. I'm I've, I'm like the old, old, old man. I'm not a big sneakerhead. I mean, listen, I know, I, I know what they are, but I'm not a massive collector myself, but I'm like only a bit uh, further ready. Don't worry, Rob. Uh, Peter, it's we a, have one last waste closing of question. Uh, is it? Okay, there you go. We have, uh, the, you heard it there first. Um, we have one last question for you, and it's the question we ask all of our guests. If you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, uh, what advice would you give? Um, I would tell myself to definitely keep things more simple and stay in your lane. Uh, focus on what you really know. And um, that's why I'm, I'm, as we talked about throughout in the pod, like really focused on the sports stuff, especially in the short term. So I think that's probably the biggest mistake I've made over the last three, four or five years is just thinking I know more about things I don't know anything about. Good advice. I, uh, I would agree with it. It's not a matter of whether I agree or not, but I, I would offer that same piece of advice to others as well. And I, I like that. That was something that was unique that we haven't heard before on circles off here. His name's Peter Jennings. You can follow him on Twitter at CSU Ram 88, not C serum. what did you say? What did C serum? C serum. Uh, Hopefully I can buy at Peter Jennings one day. Yes. That's a no brainer. What's, what's the holdup? I've been trying one day. If you're out there, if you're listening to this pod (laughs) at Peter Jennings, please hit me up so I can get away from this Twitter handle. We got, we bought the bet stamp one, the at bet stamp off a guy who had it. And we, I DM'd him and I turned notifications on and like a burner account. Finally, he ended up DMing. I'm like, buddy, like, well, well, like, what do you want for this handle? And he's just like, have it for free, man. Like mate, he's like, have it for free, mate. If you're ever in, uh, if you're ever in Ireland, buy me a, buy me a pint. I'm like, done deal. Done deal. That's amazing. So you got to get the same luck with, um, with Peter at Peter Jennings. Uh, I love that. Support his brands as well. Unabated sports, establish the run, the solver sports, underdog fantasy, better pool. Thanks Peter much, uh, Peter very much for joining us here on circles off. I had so much fun. Thanks guys. Let's see you guys. 